Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. I get to lead alongside of my wife, and we're glad that you're with us, whether you're in the room or you're online. It was cold this morning. It was so cold that my truck had this nice thick layer of ice on the inside of the windshield. That's always fun. So I may have driven our trailer down the hill with severely limited visibility. Or not. Maybe I was extremely safe. Or not. (laughs) We're in a series called The Way of Jesus. The walk, we're going to walk through week by week through Luke, but it's this reminder that Jesus offers a way of life, a new way of living, that, that Jesus is not interested in just us kind of thinking about him or maybe partially believing in him, but instead in us surrendering our whole lives to him. We get to become apprentices to him as the master, learning in all ways. And so we're working through Luke as the the gospel of Luke tells the story, one account of Jesus. And I wonder if you were to just think about your life, if you're in the room or you're online and you recall yourself a Jesus follower, the, the one question that I think we need to ask ourselves from time to time is, does my life prove it? Can people tell? Like, can people tell that I'm a Christian? There was a time, like probably 20, 30 years ago, where you could tell someone was a Christian because they did not play cards They didn't watch movies. They didn't dance. Maybe they had a a bumper sticker, like a Jesus fish, and you're like, that's how you knew. But increasingly, it's not like that. When my parents were in Bible college, they were told that all movies were bad, and my dad was convinced when they went and saw Star Wars in the 80s that they were going to get struck by lightning, that God was going to take them out. Like, there have been times in the past in Christianity that we look as Christians distinct, but in some ways that I think is a struggle for people. But what you notice is if you look at things, if you look at humanity and certainly Christianity, we operate on a pendulum. Have you ever seen a pendulum? It swings from one way all the way to the other. And so the pendulum swing in Christianity is we went from this place where we went, all culture is bad to the other opposite direction where all of it is good. And I think by doing that, we've lost something. We've lost our ability to critically think through things. We've lost certain elements of our ability to go, is this good? Like we look different. Do we look any different or do we just look like everybody else? except we're busy on Sunday mornings. Does my life as a Christian actually look different? Does my life prove to people that I follow Jesus? 
Do I find my identity in him wholly and fully and first and foremost? Is that the primary part of who I am, the first and foremost? I am a Jesus follower. Or is our identity found in something else and Jesus is an add-on to that? All throughout history, there's this tendency to find our identity in something. Even if you look at at Jesus' time, and I'm going to prove it to you in Luke 3, there's this tendency for human beings to go, I need to identify myself and find my identity in something. And oftentimes the wrestle and struggle is my identity isn't anchored in who God says I am or who Jesus says I am or in my relationship with him. It's anchored in all these other things. You go, you know what, I like this, and I'm this, and I'm that, and oh yeah, I guess, yeah, Jesus. But if Jesus is a new way of life, it is a radical reorienting of our identity. He becomes first and foremost. I want to look at a passage in Luke 3, but just for those of us maybe that aren't super familiar with the Bible, there are four accounts that tell about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. They're called the Gospels. We find them in the New Testament. That is the the latter part of the Bible. Jesus splits history and he splits the Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so we're looking at Luke, which is one of the accounts of Jesus's life. So I want to set up where I'm going to go in, in Luke 3. At this point in the narrative, there's someone named John. John, a.k.a. John the Baptist, a.k.a. John the Baptizer, and he is baptizing crowds of people in the river. John is a wild man. John is a a voice shouting in the wilderness. He is not safe. He is not light. He is extremely, in some ways, off-putting because guys rocking, rocking, Uh, leathers made out of animals and eating locusts and honey. Like he's one of those guys you're probably not inviting over for lunch. And he's baptizing people. People are drawn to him and he is baptizing them. Now you might even go, what is that? Baptism. That's something that we believe in that that it's this act of taking someone and, and actually dunking them under the water, full immersion, fully under the water. And it's this representation They go into the water as their old self, and then in that there's this symbolism of dying to our old self and being cleaned and washed by the water and washed by Jesus, and you come out and you're a new creation. It's an outward expression of inward transformation. And so John, who is making a way for Jesus, is baptizing crowds of people. There are all these people that are coming, and in Luke 3... Verse 7 and 9, it says this, When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones, Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments that you would be the one that speaks. Let it it not just be an exchange of information, but 
with your Holy Spirit power, God, a, a movement of transformation in each of us. God, illuminate these words to us, through me. God, I need you. We need you. And whatever we have going on, whatever, whatever internal voice is trying to crowd you out or, or distract us, even in this moment, I pray that you would quiet it and your still small voice would somehow miraculously be clearer. God, have your way. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want us to look through this. I want us to look through this passage verse by verse. Verse 7 says, When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Now, on the surface, this seems like an interesting move. Okay, so this crowd of people is coming to him to get baptized, and how does he respond? You brood of snakes! You're like, wow, John, like that seems a little like you're going a little hard here. Like how do we get from uh, they're coming to get baptized to go under the water to calling them brood of snakes? I mean, I notice this when we read the Bible, if we get too familiar with it, we read it and go, yeah, of course he said that, brood of snakes, of course. But like let's at least identify like, wow, okay, how did we get from there to here? It's helpful for us to understand in the other accounts that I mentioned that we see elements of certain stories from different perspectives. So in Matthew, we see the same story with a little bit extra flavor. We know from the account of Matthew that at this time, this group, this crowd, it was made up of Jewish people, but there were these groups within the groups. There was the the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so he's talking about this brood of snakes, and he's directing his attention at these two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, one of the commentaries that I was looking at, it was saying that this, this group, was, these two groups were poisonous. The words that this used was hateful, they were hateful to God and hateful to each other. That sounds pretty poisonous. Hateful to God and hateful to each other. Some other translations talk about it being a brood of vipers, these poisonous snakes. These religious leaders, these people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, were poisonous. They would use their words and their influence to poison people. Now, even if you're thinking about it just in 2022, how much attention do you think we pay to how we're being poisoned? The voices that we're listening to, the influences that we're allowing to influence us, how much of that do you think we're paying attention to where it poison us, poisons us, where it creates places that you go, that's not so good. Like you think about poison and the way that it spreads through our body and takes over and harms us from within. There are things and things that we take in, things that we consider, things that we believe that can be poisonous. I mentioned earlier that our tendency as Christians is to swing the pendulum. And so we get to this place where we go, it all doesn't matter. But what if it does? What if there's a tension in the middle where we don't have to reject everything, but there are some things that we need to pay attention to how they affect us? Like as Christians, we should be critical thinkers, not critical people, critical thinkers. We should always think and go, is that true? Does that line up? This is why for us, the, the lens through which we look at everything is the scripture, that we go, does that line up with scripture? So when I'm reading something and you're going, that kind of sounds true, is it wholly true? 
Some of the most dangerous lies are half-truths that we believe and wholly believe in and go, wait a second, there's a breakdown here. And so John is speaking to this crowd of people that has these two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's, he's talking about them as brood of snakes, poisonous people. And so he's talking to this crowd, and he says in verse 8, Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turn to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. I want to zero in on verse 8, but before I do, I want to look at it a little bit more broadly. John was exposing something in the crowd that I think he should rightly expose in us. This tendency that I I alluded to of putting our identity as our primary thing, as the thing that saves us. Like you you look at these Jewish people and they're going, "Our, our ethnicity, our ideology is what saves us. Now, we're good because we are descendants of Abraham. We're safe. We've been saved because we are Jewish. We've been saved because of our family. And John's going, that's not it. That's not the truth. Now, we have that in our own lives. We have things that we go, my salvation is because of I mean, think about it in our own context, maybe not in your life, maybe just more broadly things you hear. We're saved because we're conservative, or we're saved because we're progressive, and you go, my salvation is in my ideology, see, I'm good enough, or maybe you go, yeah, not that stuff, but like, I'm a pretty good person, like I do like some good things, so I think I'm good. We put our hope in that, in our behaviors and our actions, thinking somehow that we're good enough on our own or in the, inside of the church. I'm saved. I'm safe because I come to church every once in a while, maybe twice a year or once every four weeks. I, I show up every once in a while. I pray occasionally. Usually it's like when I really need something, but sometimes it's just because we go, well, I'm, I'm good because of that. I'm good because I sometimes serve, I sometimes give. I'm good. But John seems to be speaking to something different than that. That those things aren't the things that save us. That when we put our hope in that stuff, that it breaks down. In this section, we see some powerful truths. Some powerful things that are incredibly helpful for us to see. And I want to consider even more deeply the the role of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Some of us maybe are a little bit more familiar with those groups, but many of us, you go, you say those words, I've heard those words, I don't even know what they represent. I don't know what their philosophies are. So let me just paint a little bit of a picture of these two groups. Okay, and especially I want you to just to think, how does this connect in 2022? Both groups are claiming to represent ultimate truth. Both groups are claiming to represent perfection, their idea of living, their way of life. They are the ultimate fulfillment of that. So let's look at Sadducees. Sadducees, they denied certain supernatural parts of the Bible because it didn't fit. 
They didn't know what to do with that. What do we do with the miracles? You know what? We'll just get rid of them. They don't really fit what I want to believe. And so anything out of the Old Testament that had any kind of miraculous edge, they're like plugging their ears going, I don't see that, hear that. I don't believe in that. They were selective in what they wanted to believe. And they would remove anything from the Bible that did not fit. Okay, anything they're like, well, I don't know what to do with that. They're like, let's just remove it. Pretend like it doesn't exist. Okay, so that's the Sadducees. And then you have the Pharisees who were hardline moralists. They would tell you exactly what was wrong or right and make sure you knew that they were so much better than you. In their pride, they loved to act like they were perfect and better and you really were a mess. Okay, so you have these two groups. And when you think about it in 2022, we can see it in groups of people that we interact with. There was a time that you could take those two extremes and reduce them to the two ideological extremes, but I think increasingly we see both in both sides. We see tendencies in both sides. People on the extreme left who want to remove anything and everything from the Bible that confronts them, challenges them, cause, calls them to live in a different way and go, I don't, I don't want any of that. I don't believe in any of that. And then we have people on the extreme right that go, well, I know Jesus talks about loving your neighbor and the poor and the marginalized, but I don't want to do that. And so they pick and choose what they believe. You have the left that goes, I, I want to make sure you know that you need to measure up to this standard, and it seems to constantly be changing, and if you don't, then you're not good enough. And then you have people on the right doing the exact same thing. So when we notice that and when we understand, it's helpful for us to look at this lens of what Luke is saying and go, man, there's some things here that are helpful for us in 2022. Because the beauty of Jesus, the thing that I love, is that Jesus offends both. He offends both. John, as the one who makes a way for Jesus, offended both groups, both extremes. Jesus offers not, not just one of those two ways, but a third way, an alternative way of living. And so we put a filter on and we go, is this true? Can I, do I just get to believe what I want to believe because it's convenient? No. Do I get to look at everyone and figure out how they never could be enough? No. Do, what does that look like? What does it look like to actually follow the way of Jesus? And we would know that in the Bible that the following the way of Jesus is characterized by something we know as the fruit of the Spirit. And the truth is, it would be easier for us as Christians to pick one ideologically extreme, ideological extreme and just run into it. It'd be way easier. It's way harder to actually do what Jesus is asking. And if you look at the, the fruit of the Spirit, you're like, if you actually look at it and go, what does that look like? You're like, wow, that, that's, that's a lot. So let me just, let me read it. Galatians 5, to 23 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, some of those, you go, I like, I like those ones. Some of the other ones are like, I don't really like that one as much. Like, some of us, we go, I love the love one. Patience, yes. 
We should be patient with everyone. And then we get to the point where it talks about self-control, where we don't just get to do whatever we want to do whenever we want to do it. And you go, ah, I don't know about that one. Faithfulness? Like you actually want me to be faithful? And you go, nah, but love? Yeah. Patient with everyone? Sure. And other people, you go, oh, man, good faithfulness. Yes, self-control. You haven't cracked a smile in six years. You're like, I am very. And you look and go, we're supposed to be characterized by joy. And everyone else is like, I have not seen it in your life. I don't see any joy in how you live. We look at this, and if we're being really honest with ourselves, recognize that there is this tension that it represents And this fruit of the Spirit represents a different way of living that is an alternative to everything else that we're constantly being sold. Hey, do you want to find your life? This is what it looks like as we lose our life and pick up His. Some of us struggle because we can hear that and go, man, that sounds great. How do I do that? Like, how do I actually live that kind of life. What does that look like in my own life? Because I find myself struggling with some and not with others, and how do I do that? John the Baptist highlights it beautifully in Luke 3, 8. He says this, prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turn to God. Prove by the way you live, that you have repented. So if you're unfamiliar, because some of us we've seen like repent or go to hell and you're like, that seems pretty harsh. Let me just, let me help you to understand repentance. Repentance is the idea of changing your mind and moving in a different direction. Okay. So if you're going in your own direction and you're like, I'm going to live my own life to whatever extreme I want to, and I'm going to do my own thing. Repentance is coming to a place where you go, I don't want my way of life anymore. I want Jesus's way of life. And when you repent, you turn the other direction and you go, I want your way. And you begin to walk in it. Repentance isn't just an intellectual understanding, but an actual movement. It's turning the other way. It's active. And the beautiful thing about repentance is it actually proves itself over time. Because you can say, I repent, I repent. But if your life does not show that you're walking in a different direction, at some point someone's going to go, hey, wait a second. Like it just doesn't seem like those things line up. Even when it comes to repentance, it, it, it brings with it a different kind of looking at our identity. I was listening to a podcast that was talking about habits as Christians and and how we're shaped by our habits. And he was talking about how do we reframe Mm -hmm. twice in one. Yes, we're getting getting notifications. (laughs) So it was talking about reframing our identity. And so the one example it gave that I think is helpful, and so it's not like a pointed thing at anyone, is, is if someone's trying to quit smoking, there's a big difference between someone that's trying to quit smoking and someone offers them a cigarette and they go, I'm trying to quit. Versus someone who offers them a cigarette and go, no, I'm not a smoker. Okay, now think about that from a, from a, from an, a spiritual perspective. If you have an attitude of repentance and then you find yourself getting drawn into something else, how do you respond? You go, I'm trying not to do that. I'm trying to follow Jesus. Or is it when you go, 
no, that's not who I am. I'm a Jesus follower. It's a different perspective. And I think sometimes we find ourselves, we go, I want to be like this, but we get pulled back in different directions and we don't understand why. Some of it is because we're just leaving this room to go, "Eh, I'm going to just kind of see maybe the Jesus way is an option and let's just check it out. Some of us, we just struggle and we go, I get pulled back in. I am someone who follows the way of Jesus. No matter whether it is difficult or challenging, I'm showing by the way that I live that, that I have repented of that. I want a new way of life. John is encouraging us, prove it. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God, repented of your brokenness, repented of the places that you go, I don't want this. Jesus is inviting me to something different, and I'm going to prove that it's true. Now, let me be crystal clear. This is not about proving it to God. This is not somehow if you go, if I just do enough and go there enough and 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 restrict myself enough, then God will know I'm worth it. I'm good enough. That's not what this is, because the truth is, no matter what you do, you can never do that. That's the beauty of the gift that God gives us, is that you you can't somehow earn it and prove that you deserve it. It's a gift. The proving is for everybody else. It's for the people around you that are going, is this for real? Does this change your life? Does this actually change how you view challenges or or struggles? Does this change how you celebrate? Does this change how you love people? Does this change how you actually live out self-control and faithfulness? Does this actually, does your life prove that your life is surrendered to the way of Jesus? One of the challenges for us, because in the, the Protestant world, is we live in this place of going, we, we know we're saved by grace, through faith, not by works. So our works don't save us. But what happens is, if we're not careful, is we go, so I'm good, I'm saved, I don't need to do anything now. I'll just wait it out. Heaven's coming, just wait till I die. Just, you know, do some nice things from time to time. But we, we lose out on what does it actually mean If God wanted us just in heaven, guess where we'd be? We'd be in heaven. But instead, God has positioned us here. And so what does it look like to live in that? And I want to challenge you. I have a few phrases that I want to stick in your mind. The first is I want you to be thinking effort, not earning. Effort, not earning. So turn to your neighbor and go, effort, not earning. Effort, not earning. Okay, I have three quotes from Dallas Willard in this message, and that will not be usual, but they were some powerful ones. And this effort not earning comes from him, and he says this, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. Grace, you know, does not just have to do with forgiveness of sins alone. Effort is an action should cause us to reflect in our lives and going, is my life, is my faith marked by effort and action? And do my actions actually lead towards my life increasingly looking like the fruit of the Spirit, increasingly characterized by the fruit of the Spirit? 
Okay, another Dallas Willard quote. He says, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it, or even when we believe that we believe it. We believe something when we act as if it were true. It's almost like he's echoing exactly what John the Baptist is when he says, prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove it by the way that you live. If you believe this, if you've actually surrendered your life to Jesus, if you go, I want your way of life, does your effort prove that and point in that direction? Like, do people look at you and go, wow, I see that you put work into this? Or is it more passive? You're like, you know what? I don't know. I listen to something once a week and like, I don't really do much. What does it look like for us to actually confront that that's an area where we're not believing that it's actually true? If it's true, we need to act and behave like it actually is true and let it challenge and shape our lives. So John is talking to this group of people, these religious people that are trying to put their identity in other things. And he he says, you need to prove by the way that you live. And then he says, don't just say. This is important. So you, you understand that That John before, because this is what we do, we love to make excuses, right? We're like, okay, so I'm supposed to do that, but like, it's really hard. It's like hard to put in effort and like, you know, COVID and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. It sucks. And you're like, well, you know, I don't have a lot of time. I'm doing a lot of things. And John immediately cuts that off and goes, yeah, you don't just get to say that. You don't get to, in their case, go, ah, you know, we're descendants of Abraham, so it doesn't really matter. And in our case, insert the lie there. You don't get to say that. We're not removed from the obligation to actually do something. We're not removed from the obligation to go, well, you know, um, what, and, and just, and think that passively is the way to go. No, instead, we don't get to do that. John Ortberg says it like this. So effort, not earning. John Ortberg says it like this. Think training not trying. Training, not trying. I think that that language is helpful. So for our, our, audio, our, our listeners or our, uh, our learners that are more uh, verbal in their processing, turn to your neighbor and say, training, not trying. Training, not trying. How often do we think about our growth and our spiritual development like training? How often do we even think about it like this? Because I think sometimes we think about our spiritual development and our growth as just something that hopefully happens over time. And the idea that we actually have to train, that there needs to be a training element, I think is foreign to us. There are these things called spiritual disciplines. And we're freaked out by them sometimes because we're like, a discipline? I don't have that. Right? That self-control. You're like, mm-mm, it's January whatever. And I'm like, I've given up. I need sense of discipline. I'm just eating whatever I want to whenever I want to. And so I want you to understand that spiritual disciplines are things that, that throughout the history of the church, that the church has had as a way of training and developing. They're disciplines for a reason. They're meant to, at some levels, cost us because they're meant to shape us and change us and conform us more and more to Jesus. What it does is spiritual disciplines give us tangible handles. Because sometimes we can talk and we're like, yeah, I want to grow. And it's like, what do I do? They're like, just wait on the Lord. And you're like, okay. Uh, And you go, 
that can be its own thing. But what are some of the other ways? And, and here's the other thing. When it comes to spiritual discipline, some of us go certain areas. We're like, yeah, that's easy. Other ones, we're like, ooh, I don't want to do that one. You're like, prayer? Great. Fasting? Mm-mm. No. Some of us that are outgoing are like silence and solitude? No. Other ones that are, that are uh, more introverted are like, oh, I have to spend time with people? I don't want to do that. And so I want to give you just a, a non-exhaustive list of some of the spiritual disciplines. So two categories. Disciplines of self-denial and disciplines of engagement. So disciplines of self-denial. Solitude. And I'm not talking about loneliness. I'm talking about what does it look like to get away from people and spend time with God. Silence. For those of us that are, that are external processors, what does it look like for there to be spaces where we actually shut up? And we listen. We listen to what God wants to say. We, we create space because I don't know if you've noticed, but we have a lot of noise. Like even as you're sitting here and you're trying to pay attention and your phone's going like and you're like, I wonder what that is. All these things that draw our attention. What does it look like to create space for silence? Fasting, where we deny our body of food and for the purpose of growing spiritually and strengthening our soul. Sabbath, where we actually rest for a day. And I'm not talking about sitting on your couch and watching Netflix. I'm talking about doing something that actually causes you to find God more closely and delight in him. What does that look like in our weekly rhythm? One of the other ones is serving in secret. Not serving so you can post it somewhere or tell someone, look what I did. Just doing it and letting, knowing that God is the one that sees it. Disciplines of engagement, Bible reading, like actually reading our Bible, worship, worshiping him through song, through action, prayer, talking to God and allowing him to talk to us, soul friendship, being around other, excuse me, other people and and wrestling with things together and going, you know, I'm not alone in this, soul friendship. Personal reflection, where you actually just take time, whether you're reading the Bible or praying, and going, God, what are you doing in me? What do I notice in me? What are you stirring? What are you drawing me toward? And then service. What does it look like for me to do things for others, with others? Like, for example, we see some spiritual disciplines even in our time today. There are some spiritual disciplines. Today, there's the discipline of worship. We worship together corporately. We worship through songs. We worship later as we give. There's acts of worship. There's also hopefully some personal reflection. Like hopefully as you're sitting there and you're listening, you're not just listening to a monologue and going, nice thoughts, when can we go eat? Hopefully you're processing and going, God, what are you trying to say to me? What are you drawing my attention to? Where are you asking me or inviting me into something more. Okay, but if we're thinking training, not trying, if we're thinking training, not trying in these spiritual disciplines, do you think they do have a huge benefit if you do them one time a week? No. If you are going, I just want to grow in my faith, do you grow exponentially by training once a week? No. Is it possible that maybe this way of life is why you notice your spiritual life hasn't progressed much? 
or why you find yourself kind of stuck or regressing in some ways because you go, you know what, I I don't need to do any of that Mm kind of stuff where I'm actually training. Instead, I just want to maybe try a little bit and do a little bit. I I don't want to train. This is why when people say you should read your Bible, it's not just you read your Bible so you can look like a, a good Christian. It's not so you just read it and go, man, now I feel better because I checked off the list. It's because as we read it, we're training. And we're training our minds to think like Jesus thinks. And we're looking at things and allowing it. Here's the beauty of Scripture. It will read you. I can read something 20 times and each time go, oh, man, that, that, what do I do? What do I do with that? That's hard, difficult, good, convicting, challenging. We actually engage more deeply. We're training. We're seeing it not as something we do, but instead training us to become more and more like Jesus. When we're praying, we're not just talking to no one and hoping God's listening. We're not just asking him for stuff. We're training We're training our minds to be attuned to his voice. We're training ourselves to be more open with him and sharing things. We're training ourselves. These are disciplines for us. Every time you find time to be silent or find solitude or to find Sabbath, it is training. As you actually embrace. These spiritual disciplines have no benefit unless we actually do them. You can go, oh, those sound nice. Yeah, that sounds great. But if we do not do them, we do not benefit at all from them. And when you are doing them, like as you're reading the Bible, I want you to be thinking, when I'm doing this, I'm training. Because there are moments that you do it going like, I don't know. Like this is the, and I, I feel this sometimes. Like, I didn't get anything out of it. Are you sure? Because maybe you think you didn't, and then over time, just like training, like think about it even just physically. You're training, right? You're doing something. Do you notice immediate benefits every single time? No. It's not how it works. Sometimes you're looking at the person who's coaching you going, this seems like a waste of time, but it's almost like the coach understands more than you do. And so God sees more than we see and is inviting us to trust him in this process as we are training. Some of the people on the team are fasting right now. They're fasting for the month of January. As they're doing that, they're not just denying their body of something. They're training. They're training themselves. They're they're growing spiritually, even while physically maybe they feel a little bit more weak. As a team, we are praying. And we're not just praying to pray because you're like, I think I should pray. We're training. We're training in our closeness with God. We're training in how God shapes us. Think training, not just trying. Think effort, not earning. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. If we are people that are following the way of Jesus, we need to pay careful attention to the story that our life is telling. We need to pay careful attention to the people around us that are going, do they see something different? Do they see that God is at work in us? Do they see us having this posture of repentance where we're constantly turning away and we're turning back to Jesus' way of living? 
Is my identity actually in Jesus first and foremost? And everything springs out of that. If we want the kind of life that Jesus invites us into, if we want the kind of life that is marked by the fruit of the Spirit becoming more and more like Jesus, we need a life marked by spiritual effort. We need to think effort, not earning. We need to think training, not trying. And more than just thinking those things, we need them to actually cause us to act. So what does that look like? What does it look like to train? What does it look like to put effort in? Final Dallas Willard quote. says, the world can no longer be left to mere diplomats, politicians, and business leaders. They've done the best they could, no doubt. But this is an age for spiritual heroes, a time for men and women to be heroic in their faith and in spiritual character and power. The greatest danger to the Christian church today is that of pitching its message too low. The time for a low bar that we ask people just to float by and be cultural Christians is gone. As a church, we do not want to settle for something less. We don't want to go, hey, you know, I know it's hard and the world is difficult and things seem to be really out of whack, but it's fine. Don't worry about it. No, we want to train. We want to put effort in. We want to be resilient disciples. Why? Because the world desperately needs it. And even more than that, our neighbors need to see this is what it means to follow Jesus with your whole life. Like for people to look at us as the church and go, you look different and I am drawn to it. Not you look different because you're a bunch of weirdos for no reason, but we look different because we are operating and giving an alternative to all the other stuff, the way of Jesus. The cost is high, but the benefit and payoff is massive. We have been saved by Jesus for so much more. And so, spiritual discipline of personal reflection. What's your personal reflection? What's your next step? What does action look like? What does effort look like? What does training look like? What does it look like to ask God, God, what are you asking me to do? I'm a huge believer in in encouraging people to do that because if you do what I ask you to do, maybe it won't be what God asks you to do. If I go, hey, uh, go do this, God's going, no, 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 I wanted you to do way more than that. So what does it look like to actually go, God, what are you asking me to do? What does it look like? What does it look like to talk to other people around you and go, "What what do you think that maybe God might be asking us to do? Here's the thing, I just do not want us to be the kind of church that is content to stay where we are and continue to do what we've always done, wondering why we're getting the exact same results. Instead, what would it look like to be a church marked by resilient discipleship, the way of Jesus? I've talked a little bit about the idea of apprenticeship, that we're apprenticed under Jesus. When you think about training, we're being trained and formed as apprentices to Jesus. So for those of us that would call ourselves followers of Jesus, what's our step? What's the thing that that you recognize I need to work through, do, I need to be active, and then how do you make sure you let people in? Like maybe it's earlier in the message and you're going, 
I notice my identity is not in Jesus first and foremost. There's some other stuff. There's some other stuff, and I just I need to actually turn from that and turn back to Jesus. Maybe you need to reflect in your life and go, is my life increasingly demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit? Like, am I actually marked by all these things? Or are there some areas where, where honestly, I, I'm not? And part of it is you just stop putting in effort to develop certainly your weaknesses. And you just went, you know what, I've been trying, but I'm, I have not been training. And then the, the million-dollar question, are you actually training? Are you actually putting effort into your spiritual development? Or are you skating by? Are you actually looking at every time you open this and read it that this is training you to become more and more like God has designed you to be? Or do you look at this as a stumbling block where you go, I don't know about this. God desperately wants to use his words to change your life. For those of us that have been Christians for a while or for a long time, it is time to put away our childish faith and instead get to work and start training. The world desperately needs to see Jesus at work in our lives. It is time for us to embrace the kind of life that demonstrates, like Dallas Willard said, spiritual character and power that comes only from Jesus. What's your step? Effort, not earning. Training, not trying. A life of action to prove that we are living this life of repentance before God. I want us to to worship, but before we do, let's pray. God, I am so grateful that you are in constant pursuit of us. God, there are these moments that I look and I see what you are doing and continue to do in my own life, and there are moments that I feel the discomfort and the pain, and I wish that you'd stop, but God, even when we struggle, even when you're pointing out places or challenging us in areas that we've resisted, God, I pray that you would continue to expose things that you need to expose, that we would understand that it's not just about us paying a price, but instead a demonstration of your love, that you see us as your kids. And you look at us and go, you want more for each of us. Help us to be soft and pliable in our hearts and in our response to you. God, help us to be a people that would embrace disciplines, spiritual disciplines that for thousands and thousands of years people have have taken and embarked on and put effort in and trained by and become more and more like your son Jesus. God, as we worship, draw our attention to what you're asking us to do. Speak to us. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.